Are you ready? I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Uh, hopefully, they don't. We, we don't record our deaths in an accident. But yeah, it's all part of it. Performance art. Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit, a podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is episode 19 of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast. I'm Alex Dark. And I am Trevor L. Nelson, and today we're talking about the future of no budget filmmaking, but first... I mean... What are we drinking? Uh, yeah, what are we drinking? And you know what? We're not drinking anything except some iced tea because... Well, I'm drinking a Diet Coke. Oh, Diet Coke. Which is bad for you. Yes. I know, everyone. Uh, I know. Is it worse than all the booze that we drink when we do this? I think yes. Okay. I don't... <laughs> I think yes. I think it's... It won't make you do worse things. Okay. Uh-huh. But... The act of drinking it itself is worse. So it is healthier to drink booze than it is to drink Diet Coke is what you're telling me. I believe that is actually true. Well, thank you, doctor. I am <laughs> gonna, I'm going to take that to the bank. Um, no, but yeah. we are a little special little addition this time. We're doing the podcast as we go to Vegas. Yeah, we're on a we're on a little roadie. A little roadie. <laughs> um, <laughs> it sounds so dirty somehow. We like, just stopped at Barstow. Okay, so for those who don't know, well, first of all, we're going to Vegas because a couple weeks ago we had Zeph come out for a uh, an interview about his movie Trouble. and The, the Trouble. Trouble. The Trouble. My apologies, Zeph. Once Upon a Time in the Bronx. Once Upon a Time Full in the Bronx. Full title. Yep. And uh, he invited us out to Vegas for the world premiere at Action on Film Festival. Yes. And, and we so took him up on it. We're on our way out. We're it's on in our way Vegas up. at the Palms. At the Palms. Hotel and Casino. Yep. And it starts at 10 p.m. So we figured, you know what? What better way to pass the time driving from Vegas, uh, driving to Vegas from LA, than to do a, do a, do our podcast? Yeah. So we apologize for any unusual noises. You probably hear the car in the background, and uh, the audio quality is not quite up to par. No. No. And um, I'm just going to preface this by saying this is probably going to be a short episode. Yeah, probably a little bit shorter, but maybe that's a good thing. People don't want to hear us that long. Yeah, you probably are like, oh my god, finally, they yeah. just decided to actually end it when it should have ended. I wish we could get stats at what time people stop listening, at what time, if they're just like, okay, 30 minutes in, I'm annoyed with these guys, so I'm just going to move it on. I know, that is what, it's interesting about podcasts in general, they don't have very good statistics at all. Yeah, I know. Like, the, the analytics and everything is very, very general, and I've looked up, like, better solutions, and it just doesn't exist. Yeah, which is shocking that advertisers would still be all in on podcasts, it's like... There's no way to tell that maybe, maybe yeah, they have these listeners, but maybe they only listen to the first, first 10 minutes, and yeah. then they, they cut out, so your commercial that's at the 15-minute mark doesn't get heard. Yeah, what's up with that? Weird. Uh, I don't know. I but, don't know. Um, but yeah, so we just stopped at Barstow, and for those who have made the road trip from L.A. to, to uh, Vegas... Uh, or, there, or vice versa. Or vice versa. There's a, there's a... It's kind of a tradition that Alex brought me in on. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of people will probably do it. But Alex, tell them what the tradition is. The tradition is to start, stop at the, starve, to starve, starve until yourself. You get to. Yeah, basically, is what we did. Yep. This afternoon, starve yourself until you get to Barstow, and you stop at one of the original, original. Del Tacos, now, where the the founder of Del Taco still works to still this works. day. He was not there today. He wasn't there. But, but every other time there. we've been there, yep. he's basically there because he. I mean, I think he shows up for the lunch rush. Yeah. We were there a little later today. We're usually there for the lunch rush. Um, but at the same time, 
you can get things at this Del Taco you can't get anywhere else. They have Barstow specials. They do, and they are delicious. Oh my gosh, so good. The carni the carnitas burrito, which you can't get anywhere else, delicious. Alright. Um it's pretty solid. Yeah, no. I'm just saying, if you guys if you guys are traveling through, yeah. you know, give it a try. Try the chicken soft tacos. Man. Oh man, the chicken soft tacos are probably twice the size of a normal chicken soft taco at Del Taco. Yep. And for those who don't know what Del Taco is, think of Taco Bell. I don't know if they're all over the country. Definitely west, western United States. Yeah. Uh, so for those across the pond, across the ocean, it's just a uh, it's just a Mexican fast food. Mexican fast food, but it's delicious and it's the original and it's a uh, it's a staple on our way to Vegas. Yep. And so. What is new with us, Alex? What is new? Well, other than traveling to Vegas, that's yeah. a pretty new one. I mean, it's still happening right now, so it's really new. How new is that if it's happening right now? Wow. Real new. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? What else is new? Uh, we're working on this project that uh, we're going to reveal you guys sometimes in the, sometime in the next month. Yes. Um, we'll, you know, pretty put, excited about that. Put a lot of work into it. Hope you guys like it and love it and whatever. Um, do with it as you may. Um, we yes. also, a friend of ours kind of got us... Some inside scoop on some intellectual properties that a couple movie studios are wanting to remake. Yeah, so we're trying to trying to uh, ride that, that money way. train. Yeah, ride that money train <laughs> uh, to you know uh, wealth, prosperity, and power. Um, so we're uh, we're looking through the IP collection um, and seeing what because I my understanding is everything's fair game except except the the more popular. Uh, the more popular things that are going to be titles. taken by like real directors yeah. that people have heard of. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we're just trying to get the bottom of the barrel, scrape it together, see what we can shoot and pitch to pitch to them, and hopefully they give us money to make it, and that'd be pretty fun. That would be pretty fun. Yeah. Um, so, anything else new? I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna have some interviews coming up with you guys later. We got some people yeah, we got from some like cool people. Seed and Spark, uh, Slated. Yes. We're also going to get some more independent filmmakers. Um, what about that couple? They're an independent filmmaker? Those two people? I don't know if they're a couple couple, but... Who are we talking about? They emailed us. Oh, no, Instagram messaged us? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, an independent film company that produces a, a lot of uh, horror films. Gotcha. There you go. Oh, and we love our horror films. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have some uh, pretty sweet interviews coming up for you guys soon. Uh, the interviews seem to kind of hit a little bit more with people because it's more people on the inside of the industry. Yeah. So we're hoping to kind of ramp that up a little bit more. We got to kind of had to start off by ourselves, you know, do it, do it uh, just the two of us. But yeah. and we, uh, you poor, poor people that had to listen to just us. <laughs> I know. And we got our uh, our uh, remote interview set up, cooking pretty good. Yeah. Not hating it. Nope, nope. So we're gonna bring that to you. So I think that'll about do it. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to um, the topic at hand. The topic at hand, as we are coming down the mountain, and it is 101 degrees at six o'clock. At Fort Irwin Road. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. Exit 189. Coming up on Peggy Sue's. Oh man. Uh, diner. Also, which Ghost is, Town. Uh, are we almost at Calico? Yeah, Calico. I think Calico is right there. My God. Yeah. We're really chugging. Yeah. Just chugging what? Um, yeah, moving on. Um, okay, so the, the future of no-budget filmmaking. Yeah, um, where do we see the no-budget filmmakers and the no-budget films in the next couple years landing in you know, the industry? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. A lot of news has come out that could kind of be yay, no-budget and independent film, and nay. Correct. Um, you know, we talked Correct, a little like bit Correct, like most again. things. 
there's pros and there's cons. Man. Everyone, breaking you, news. You are a wordsmith, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I would say, like, not one piece of news has pros and cons, but a piece of news is a pro, and then another piece of news is a con. That's true. Okay. Yeah, so shut up. So share with us what these pieces of news are. Well, we talked a while ago about the possibility of studios buying up theaters. Right, so they're going to have their monopoly again yep, and on all the exhibitions, so yep. it could potentially stifle the low-budget indie yep. ability to get into theaters. And I think we talked... Which, let's be honest, it's not really like a huge yeah. platform for indies, That's like no-budget indies anyway, That's at true. the moment. And since we last talked about that, Netflix has gotten in the game and is uh, trying to... Bid, well, this is weird. They, they can't officially bid on it yet because the law hasn't been uh, overturned. But they're trying to. They're going to fight Amazon for landmark theaters. So Amazon and Netflix. It's kind of funny that the two that are ready to jump in the quickest are the ones that are not the typical studios. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So so there's that's the nay. That's the, the nay. The what's, nay. What's, what's the what's the yay The yay yay. <laughs> give me the Kanye. Sounds like sounds like a really bad drug. Yeah, give me some of that yay yay. <laughs> um, is I would say you know the rise of like cheap equipment and like the popularity of or not popularity but the the ability that the cell phone cameras are able to pull out so that people could technically shoot a movie with just their phone. Yeah, um, so the barrier of entry is has diminished quite greatly. substantially. Yeah, totally. And I think um, it's not even like the barrier of entry. It's like the barrier to professional quality stuff yeah you know yeah. because like back in the day you couldn't buy film cameras mostly a I mean and B if you did buy them uh, they were like hundreds of thousands of dollars just for one yeah camera yeah not including the lens package which was also hundreds of thousands of dollars and then the film itself I mean it was all it's expensive really really expensive like there's no way you would have bought it I think the definition of independent cinema is a lot different than independent cinema was a while ago you know you think about the the independent cinema of like back in I'd say in the day but it was for us it was back in the day of like Kevin Smith yeah like Clerks and all that but that still was film um he did it black and white you know he did some cheated it out a little bit to keep it to keep it uh low cost but you know that was the independent day cinema which nowadays it's like Tangerine shot on an iPhone um, and yeah. stuff like that like the, the independent cinema is even cheaper these days yeah totally and it the the idea of no budget becomes kind of like tricky because people own equipment now so it's like does that get factored into the budget you know because it's like yeah. you own this camera equipment and this lighting equipment and you're probably using it for your gigs or whatever and doing all that stuff and you just have access to it does that does the cost of that equipment go count as part Part of of the budget budget, knowing that it's something that you used for something else or like you didn't you know purchase it specifically for this one project or you're not renting it for the project you know what I mean yeah yeah and I mean it's so the idea of making like a two thousand dollar feature I mean still is kind of crazy but like you can do it with that in mind like the fact that you just have stuff already and you have 2000 bucks on top of it to, like, buy food for people or something. Yeah, it's kind of funny because back in the day, it was kind of like you wanted to boost up the budget to make it seem like you had access to a lot of money. And nowadays, it seems the selling point is to keep it as cheap as possible. Like, now, you know, back in the day, they'd be like, well, yeah, you know, I, you know, 
I shot this on, you know, a, a film camera, blah, blah, blah. And even though if the person owned it, yeah. um, they'd be like, yeah, we shot this and it was $150,000. But now I feel that some people would even be like, to kind of sell it more, like if they had a, like, you know, our V35, yeah. uh, if it was, you know, you take in the into the cost of renting it, let's just say, you know, $10,000 for the shoot. Some people would be, wouldn't even put that into their their like budget because they'll be like, well, I shot this for $20,000. Yeah, there's there is something about that. It, it kind of goes both ways, though. I th- I feel. Yeah. No. Definitely. Because, um, you know, especially when all this stuff really first started coming out, I think people hit that point really hard and fast. They were trying to be like, "Oh, I'm the guys that can make stuff that looks really good for like no money." Can you imagine what I what I could do if you gave me a budget? Yeah. Yeah. And it, that never really worked as planned. A. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and then B. I feel like now it kind of is, uh, it, it could go both ways, whereas maybe you might impress someone with that, but also at the same time, like real uh, films and pr- production companies and studios, they might be interested in that, and we've seen in the past like a couple times where they've sort of picked people up that have done lower budget stuff and had handed them like a huge project, but one of their biggest questions I'm sure is like can this person handle like a 20 million dollar budget or a 100 million dollar budget you know because it's totally different I mean it's two different skills really it's almost like you know opposite ends yeah because it's it's kind of funny because you have like um, you have someone like uh, Colin Trevorrow who did his feature uh, you know Safety Not Guaranteed which I think was under 10 yeah and then they handed him Star Wars or they handed him Jurassic World and people weren't all that impressed. They had, you know, really. I thought they were they were all right. I mean, they were okay. And but then the big it wasn't it wasn't like Fantastic Four guy. I think was no. The one they, that, I think that was Josh Trank. Yeah. So that that's another one. He did Chronicle, which was a low budget, and then they handed him uh, Fantastic Four, and it just it, he was just a nightmare on the set, is what they said. Um, and it just didn't. It wasn't. It was a mess. Um, but then you have like people like. Uh, James Gunn, who did, you know... But he kind of did a more traditional path, I would say. Yeah, but it still was low budget. I mean, what was it, Slither or Splinter? Slither. Slither. But that was a... I mean, it wasn't, like, super... I mean, the the effects and stuff, and that was a a decent budget. Yeah. Um, You know what? It's almost like these days, um, you know, they do want to, you know, uh, who was it? Um... Tony Scott. Yeah. Um, no, it's not Tony, Tony Scott. R.I.P. R.I.P. No, it wasn't Tony Scott. It was his brother, um, Ridley Scott. Okay. I thought Tony Scott said it before he passed away, but no, Ridley Scott said it. Um, he had said, you know, like, all these studios hand these million, you know, multi-million dollar projects to people with no experience. Um, you know, give me a script, and while my fee to direct is high, it'll come in on time and under budget. Right, and I think that's still what a lot of people are hoping for. I think what I'm noticing a lot more though is that people, that studios want to see, especially with these big blockbusters, that directors can handle not just a big budget but like a big VFX shoot. So right, because like, I know somebody who was brought in to um, do the Guardians of the Galaxy, brought in for a, a pitch meeting for the Guardians of the Galaxy before James Gunn was hired. And he was not, you know, he was brought in because of his ability with VFX. 
Right. Um, and he had never worked with a budget that size or anywhere near that. Um, and, you know, the, like um, John Favreau, before he was given Iron Man, uh, he they gave him Zarthura, the like, quote-unquote sequel to Jumanji, to see how he could do with big VFX-heavy movies. So I right. don't... It's hard to say if it's, like, budget or... And, <clears throat> oh, go ahead. Who's the director of... Um, of San Andreas and oh, Rampage. Man. man, I forget. But yeah. I think that guy, his very first movie, I think, that he did was a a movie. It was like, um, God, I can't remember what it was, but it was like dogs that are spies or something. Okay. You know, and the dogs' faces are animated and stuff, and it's like, um,. It was kind of like a family okay, so like, action movie. Uh, Chihuahua, Beverly Hills Chihuahua or something. Kind of, yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. like, yeah. it wasn't a very big budget. I think it was a couple million. Yeah. And then he went on to do San Andreas, I think. and then Super heavy. Super VFX heavy. Yeah. Now he's kind of like a guy that does like VFX movies because of that. He's the new, who was the guy who did Day After Tomorrow and... Uh, oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... So I do think it, it it is it does become like a proving ground where or like a, a contest. It's like who can who can handle the VFX stuff that we can send our big tentpole things to later. Yeah, because I mean, Colin Trevorrow, safety not safety not guaranteed. It wasn't effects heavy at all until the very end. Yeah. Um, so I think you know. It's oh yeah, like, and then like Gareth Edwards. Yeah, Gareth Edwards. There you go. Yeah, I mean, Monster. from Monsters to Star Wars. Yeah. And well, Godzilla no. to Star yeah, Wars. Exactly. Um, I mean. Uh, yeah, I think no budget filmmaking in terms of like keeping your budget as on paper as low as possible is not helpful anymore because a lot of these, you know, a lot of these movies that you're going to go for that are funded by studios are huge budgets. That tends to be what studios do now. They do the super large budget movies and they want to know that you know how to work with a hundred million dollar budget and if you're saying oh well I did this short for ten thousand dollars because I own all the equipment so I'm not putting that budget it may actually hurt you yeah and also um it's almost like the name of the game right now is to like whatever the budget may be like the budget's kind of irrelevant but it's to make something that looks and feels like it could be a studio film yeah you know, you can make a short that's like three minutes and have it be, um, you know, $2,000 or $100,000. And it wouldn't matter if it was like a really high concept, uh, flashy, kind of sh- uh, polished. Yeah, the directing was good. The editing was good. It was VFX, overall. Yeah. St- you know, type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of what people are looking for. Uh, in terms of like, again, the idea of someone like being impressed enough to like pull you up to a bigger project I mean obviously there's a billion ways to sort of try to burst into the scene you know you could go the festival route and that's like the total opposite it's like you don't need the VFX or the polished or anything like that it's more about the story and like um, you know pulling on the heartstrings and getting people like emotionally involved or something yeah or put or making a film on a topic that is topical yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think what people have to keep in mind that is, like, even when it comes to no-budget filmmaking, it's all about the story still. And I think it's more important, the story, because 
you may not have the access to the VFX or the heavy, you know, the good-looking cameras. You know, I think I never. Did you ever see Tangerine? No. You know, I didn't see it, and they, you know, I think it had going for it. It was, a, it was a, you know, a population, a transgender main character that was kind of untapped. Yes. As well as being shot on the iPhone. Um, but the story was still it was like good. a hook. Yeah, it was a hook. So it had it had a, a niche. Yeah. And a hook. So it's that's a, a double whammy, right? Double there. whams uh, to get people in, and then it just turned out it was a very good story. Yep. Um, and that got him the the Florida Project. So I mean, it's I definitely think that no budget filmmaking is now one of those things where everyone can kind of do make it look really nice with a good camera. And everyone can kind of do some basic VFX that aren't like crazy, yeah, uh, but look good. So you really gotta. I think the future of no budget filming is an interesting story, even if it's. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's easy to say that because it's always kind of been about the story. Everyone says worry about the story first. It's all about what's on the what's written on the page. Sure, but it was. I mean, everyone always says that, but that's, that's not true. true. <laughs> that's like true. if you look back in the day, again in like the heyday of of like. Uh, direct to DVD or direct to video it's like the story didn't the story was like the least important actually like in in that particular realm of movie I mean as we're, go- as we're going through these IPs of old movies that this company put out that is no that has never been more true than when I'm watching that stuff yeah yeah I like, mean it literally has more, had I mean I think it still probably does in a certain uh, in a certain way but like it has more to do with who's in it yeah, um, the the production company behind it and stuff like that that is going to sell to the foreign but markets so, and stuff. So what do you think? Like the person who's going to you know the future no budget filmmaker. What are they trying to do with their first feature? Are they trying their no budget feature? Are they trying to get it sold or are they just trying to get the next gig? So I think the bigger idea, and we kind of touched on this with. Uh, with uh, Jason Brubaker a little bit. Yeah. I feel like the real key in the future is going to be building an audience of your own. Yeah. And that's kind of been the case now, and it's it's kind of been weird because um, there hasn't really been, um, I don't think, necessarily a filmmaker that this has worked for yet too much. I mean, you got like <laughs> Freddie W., or Freddie Wong, but like I'm going back to like Kevin Smith. He has like a cult following by people who watch anything Kevin Smith yes, puts out. Yes, and I, I don't think anyone has done that in sort of this digital age yet, or this era where anyone can make a movie. And so I think if someone, if we can like figure that out, yeah, that's kind of where it's going because then you have your like following that you can go to and keep going to and say, hey, I'm making this new thing, or like, hey, I'm thinking about making. A movie. What do you guys think about this idea? And then they yeah. could, they could say, "Oh man, I love that! I can't wait to see that." And then you're like, "Okay, I'm going to make that." And so it's like you know ahead of time that it's something that people want to see, and like the the people in your audience want to see. Get people invested. Get early. people invested. I think it's more of like a filmmakers as a, a brand almost, you know, or as the star quote unquote yeah. that uh, people want to see. Now I don't know how um, mainstream that could ever be because. I feel like, you know, the idea of really liking and, and being attached to specific directors is pretty niche to filmmakers and, like, film buffs. Yeah, I, I, I find it 
I don't You're right I don't think there is Somebody out there That is like For me personally That I'm like I'm gonna go see Everything this person makes Because of What I mean But the ones that are Like that for me Are the old school ones Like Steven Soderbergh Yeah um, Kevin or like, Smith Like for me um, You know I, I really like The original Predator Love that yeah. movie This new one I don't think Looks terribly good but you'll see it because it's Shane Black. I mean, Shane Black, I'm just such a big fan of, so I know That's it's true. probably going to be really fun. Now, do you think maybe, like, a Seth Rogen has a brand that people will go see? Yes. I, I think that... And Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen. Um, yes. Yeah. But, see, again, like, I feel like we kind of live in this little bubble where I don't know if that's true, that's true outside yeah. of our bubble. That's you know? true. That's a good I point. I think it probably is for Seth Rogen because he's, like, the face and the star. But I don't know if we went to, um, I don't know, like, South Dakota and we're like, hey, what do you think about Judd Apatow? If they'd be like, oh, man, I love Judd Apatow. I don't know. I, I, you know what I think it would be is, especially outside of our bubble, because Seth Rogen is the face, it's like, oh, yeah, I love Seth Rogen's stuff. But if it was Judd Apatow, they'd be like, ah, I don't know. I haven't seen much of his stuff. And then you start naming the things that he's done. Yeah. No, like, people oh, would be, yeah. Like, be like, oh, I saw that. That was Judd Apatow. They, the, the people behind the camera know. don't know. And, that, I mean, that being said, you probably, like, someone could be, like, outside of our bubble could be like, oh, I love Seth Rogen. And you're like, well, you know, he, he um, um, uh, he, what is it? He produced uh, Preacher. And right. they're like, what? Really? Because his name isn't plastered all over it and his face isn't on it. Right, right. Um, so I think, you know... So Seth is a little bit different because he produces and writes things and then is also in them. So yeah. it's a little... A little different. But other than different. that, I mean, let's be honest, though. Is there... Do you think outside of the filmmaking bubble it is possible to get a following if you're behind the camera only? I don't know. Because, again, I think yes. Yes, it is. But only in specific Genre. other genres okay. and niches or niches depending on how you decide <laughs> to say it niche um, but for example like a Wes Craven you know, oh yeah or like a Blum, like a Jason Blum I feel like well actually yeah in like the horror world yep. it's almost like a niche that I feel like would um, would be aware of that type of thing or like oh man a new Jason Blum movie or like a Blumhouse picture like yeah I'm on board or um yeah. Like, oh man, Wes Craven's coming back to do something. I'm going to be all over that or whatever. I think there's not many genres that have that big of a, 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 a kind of like following or cult following of like the heroes as is horror. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think uh, even in the other kind of similar genres like sci fi, fantasy. Maybe th- Peter Jackson in that genre? Maybe. Or, I mean, Guillermo del Toro. Maybe. Yeah, Del Toro. Yeah, Del Toro is 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 pretty big up there. Yeah. So I think it's possible, but again, it's like borderline horror. Yeah. It's like fantasy horror. Yeah. I don't know, but I think um, in those, in like sci-fi and fantasy, it's almost like the properties themselves are the are the things that people follow. You know, like Lord of the Rings and. Yeah, like people are following Peter Jackson. Hellboy. Because. I mean, in all honesty, did they follow him to King Kong? Not really. No. But they came back to him because then he did The Hobbit. So right. it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard. I, mean, I think it's going to be very hard for uh, no-budget filmmakers to um, come up with, like, to get a cult-following audience. Yeah, I think so. I mean, but... It's not impossible. Not impossible. And nowadays, 
it's getting to the point where I feel like the uh, the puzzle can be solved. You know. How do you think? I'm, I'm just thinking like with the ability to gain so much exposure as just like an individual. Yeah. Through. Uh, social media and advertising and stuff like that. If you're like really strategic and and uh, you know you actually try to do it in a in a strategic way. Yeah, I, I think, mean you got to be smart about it. Though. I think you could do it. And you got to put out good stuff. That's the thing. It's well, like the, you, yeah, that's the key. No matter what, I think. Yeah. That's the key to this whole game. I mean, if you put <laughs> out good stuff, theoretically, you will eventually be found. If you, you know? build it, they will come. Yeah. It's like if you consistently put out good stuff, like year after year, someone's gonna find it and be like, "Oh man, it's yeah. really good." I mean, it's it, it the kind of yeah, you're right. I think the new generation no budget filmmaker, if they're if they're wanting to stay in the independent realm, I mean, you know, it's like the the Duplass brothers. They yeah. consistently put out good stuff, and I will watch anything they do or anything Mark Duplass is in because I like them. Yeah. Um, and they were they did that without. Freaking, you know, uh, doing uh, any like before social media and all that, and right. so I think with social media, you can, you have a better chance. There's a like a lower fail rate with social media if you're if you're active. I, you know what? I think it's day after tomorrow. Um, a friend of mine's brother did the like, and it was a big movie, and so I don't know why. The, maybe they, did, they didn't charge. I thought they charged like five dollars, but they they did something where you could have your name at the end of the DVD, like at the end of the credit rolls. <laughs> it would just be like your name, like and everyone else who had done the same thing. I thought it was five dollars. Maybe it wasn't, but maybe it it was just free just to build like you know people buying the DVD. Yeah. But like it's stuff like that. People love to be invested in in a film. Um, yeah, there's that really weird company that I keep uh, keep seeing pop up on my Disney. Facebook feed, Legion M. Have you heard of this? No, I don't think so. It's... What have you been searching that that popped up? Um... <laughs> <coughs> well, mm-hmm. uh, no, it just shows up because it's sponsored. It's like an ad oh, okay. that pops up. It's like, hey, like, be in the film industry, invest in movies with, like, real celebrities and stuff. And um, I think the first Legion M... Legion M movie was that one with Anne Hathaway where she's like oh Colossus or whatever or that what was, was a Legion M? I think so alright that movie wasn't bad um, and so you it's almost like a crowd like a weird equity crowdfunding campaign where instead of like swag you can actually get some stuff back from the movie yeah you actually like earn profits and stuff that's actually not a bad idea it's not a bad idea it, I mean it, uh, I'm sure it's very complicated. Oh, I'm sure. Um, in terms of how it, it's structured and everything. But I mean, you know, it's just it, like when we were looking for investors at um, $7,500 a pop, it, it's just like that, except you're bringing it down to like, okay, $700. Or they probably had a tier that you had to hit to get any percentage back. Yeah. And so it's probably like, I guess they raised it though. They must have, and I, I think it's still on. Like it's ongoing. I don't know how that works in terms of maybe they just do it for every film. It's like, yeah, maybe a or new maybe, one. Maybe it does a new fund. <laughs> I don't know. Dilutes the shares. I don't know. That, I gotta look into it a little bit more. Yeah. But it's it's interesting. It's interesting. And I mean, I think if you start building a brand, 
as a filmmaker, then you you can start talking about. Uh, as you guys have heard before, we're not big fans of crowdfunding, but if you do have a brand, you can maybe go into that realm a little easier because yeah. you may have rather than people just being invested in terms of. Um, like, oh, you know, I'm helping choose who's going to star in it. I'm helping to choose what the script is about. Now it's like I'm giving my money and I get a, a part of it. Like, that's what Michael Rusley said on cinemasummit.com <laughs> uh, in his interview about crowdfunding. It's like all these people were fans of Five Second Film and they were, uh, you know, they were used to having getting the films for free. But when it was time to get something bigger, they were already such fans that they were like, yeah, I'll give you 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fine. Like, I believe you guys do good work, so here you go. Yeah, and I do think it's possible. It's, again, man, it's just like it's a tough puzzle. It always has been, That I've been wanting to crack for a while. (laughs) Um, but I'm trying to think of, like, how one could do it without becoming, like, a YouTube star Uh, or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like if if someone's a director and doesn't want to like get out there and start making YouTube videos every day to like promote themselves. Well, I think you can do YouTube videos, but like a little differently. Like not your YouTube videos where it's direct to camera or really shitty, but like think of like that fan film from uh, Mortal Kombat. Right. Granted, he had this, a bunch of stars because he was connected, but that just gained popularity because hey, I made I made this. It's on YouTube, but it looked really good. Yes, and that's that's again goes back to the idea of just like making something good. Yeah. But I'm talking more about the idea of building up an audience and a brand for your like a following for your stuff. Yeah. Your ongoing stuff, so that I think you'll you still need to put something audience. out so that they know what they're becoming a fan of. Right, but would they be able to? Would you be able to build out a brand just on putting out like products? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think if you become part of the filmmaking community in the sense of like you're out there like talking to people, not not just pr- not even promoting your stuff, but just like, hey guys, you know what do you think about this? Or like somebody asks a question on a forum, you answer. They start getting like one of us, one of us, <laughs> and they kind of start following. Like, hey man, I really you know appreciate it. It's the old like follow me I'll follow you back on Instagram yeah. if, if you if you support what I'm doing I'll support what you're doing and then we go from there yeah it's true it's tough and you know it's hard it's one of those things where if studios are buying theaters you would think that it immediately makes it tougher to um, you know get your stuff out there but necessity breeds innovation so I think if if people start seeing that theaters are you know only showing Netflix movies yeah or Disney owning whatever uh, not AMC because that already that was sold a little bit ago you know Disney owns Edwards Edwards Theaters um, and only showing Disney movies people will start clamoring for something that's not just a, a blockbuster um, yeah and I'd love to see the actual numbers behind some of these um Indie films, you know. Yeah. Like I want to see, um, I want to see numbers for and like statistics for who the audience is. Like who's going to see these movies? Like at the Lemley, you know. Yeah. But not in L.A. Yeah, at, like. LA's a LA's a hard sample size. It's it's weird. 
works. Obviously, I think there's way more people in LA willing to go see indie movies. But oh, like, yeah, definitely. I know uh, my wife's parents love going to see indie movies in Portland. You know, so it's like, yeah, I want to see what that audience is like and what the demographics are and like uh, what movies they're they're um, tending to go see and stuff like that. It's you know, it's funny for me. My parents like to see independent movies. They also like to see you know a little bit. They don't. They're not like the superhero type movies. Yeah. You know, they they like to go see True Grit and stuff like that. But they go to this place in Minnesota called The Heights, and it reminds me of all. A not so fancy version of the movie theaters, the movie palaces downtown. It's right. an old theater, probably you know, sixty years old. They still do silent movies every once in a while, where they have a big organ up front. My parents like going to that theater rather than like the big megaplex, just because you know, one screen, um, and they love going there. And I just don't know about. You know, we both use examples of people who are over 60 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know outside. I know, because, like, some of my friends that are our age, their mentality about it is like, well, you know, I, I, why would I spend $14 to go see a movie when I could watch it or something else like it, or I could see it later from the comfort of my home? Where I'm just like eating on the couch. Exactly. And that's a, a hard thing to uh, argue with because, yeah, I mean. I, th- I think no budget filmmakers have to look to the fact that theaters may not be the end all be all anymore. Of like, I mean, granted, you know, maybe the end all be all is you get hired on to a, you know, $100 million project that gets into the theater. But you know, but for, for your indie project, for your indie project, it may not be it. I mean, they even say like, this is going to be weird to bring this in as a reference, but like, all these fast casual restaurants like Applebee's and TGI Fridays, yeah, are closing because because of the bottomless apps. <laughs> I mean, oh, that. oh, that's what's bringing me back. Let me tell you, <laughs> woo! Talk about my bottom and those bottomless apps. That's um, the only thing that's saving them. Yeah, um, I think what's happening is that. Our generation is just not going out as much. They're, yeah. you know, they're they're staying at home, like you said, and they're, you know, with Postmates and Uber Eats, they're bringing food in, so they can still technically eat out, but they can watch a movie at home. Right. Um, so I think a, a no budget filmmaker maker needs to look at it and be like, do I really need to get into a theater to kind of validate my movie? And it may just be as simple, something as simple as like, no, I just would like to get on a, on a in a theater in a. Uh, film festival to at least project it once on a big screen but then the question becomes if you're if you subscribe to that idea and, and say okay I'm going to go for the um, streaming VOD the transactional VOD like Amazon or whatever like that kind of stuff how do you get people alive yeah yeah how do you get people to notice your movie in the sea of other movies that are out there, you know what I mean? You know, I would be, this is going to be the biggest, hardest thing we could ever pull off is to look in, under the hood of Netflix. But I wonder how many of these Netflix movies, I'm sure they have the statistics, of these Netflix indie movies that they buy, how many are, like, watched because it's at, like, the you know, how many are specifically searched for and how many are, like, watched because it's like, whoa, we think you might like this. 
or very similar right. to this suggestions one. Yeah, suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you get? How do you crack the suggestion algorithm? I mean, you need a big, big sample group, and you know, have them all watch different movies and kind of like have them fill out a form that says, when you watch this kind of movie in this genre, what movies popped up after? Asking yeah. if you, we think you'd like this one too. Yeah, but how do you get it in there? Like when you actually put your thing oh, on I'm, Amazon, how do you get it served to the right people? I guess it's just like you you do it through tags and you hope that I mean, you I have think, to like push. Maybe maybe it's the type of thing where you like push it, advertise it, and then the algorithm learns. Yeah. And so then it's like, oh, similar people like it. And so then we'll uh, push it out to other people that f- fill that criteria. I have to think, I wonder if, you know, because Amazon and Netflix have skin in the game. If, as much as it goes against my personal beliefs, if you just let the algorithm handle it. Because, you know, they, they want to make money. So they're not going to bury it. So just know that they want to make money from your project. So let them figure out the best way, like what to connect it to. Yeah, it's almost like, so back in the day, there was almost like a uh, a Reddit hack. Ah, uh, uh, how to get it on. Like, how to get it onto like the front page of Reddit. Yeah. How to get your post. And all you had to do was like within the first 15 minutes or something, get X number of people to upvote it and comment. And, and it was hot. And the Reddit algorithm would say, ah, yes, that's popular, and then it would put it out there. I'm sure people put, made, like, programs that would have, like, 600 usernames and would just yeah, upload exactly. something, yep. Exactly. And, um, you know, I wonder if it's a similar, if it's a similar thing. You have enough people, like... You have enough people, like, hit it within the first, you know, however many... Yeah. You know, hours or days or whatever of it being up there for it to be like, oh, this is this is hot. I'm going to put this in popular or whatever, in the popular section. Yeah, because I don't, you know, I get the emails from, like, Netflix that say, hey, this is coming out, and this next season of something you watch is coming out. But there's a lot of stuff that gets no fanfare when it comes out, like, right. at all from Netflix. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where you kind of have to find it. And maybe, maybe that's where you go in and you pay some, you know, film review sites and you pay Slash Film to talk about it or you have some kind of hook like Tangerine where it starts it starts in the filmmaking community of like hey check this out because it's kind of how they did it it's kind of unique yeah and it grows from there totally I remember I uh, I was in the mood for like a, an edgy kind of like stylish indie film just because I okay. I like to watch them every once in a while I to, do uh, too but we're probably few and far between yeah gets me all pumped <laughs> for making that type of thing yep um but I didn't. I couldn't find anything, you know. Actually, just like in the apps, I like kind of scrolled through or whatever. And so I had to like Google something to watch, you know. Uh huh. And then I looked it up, and it was on Amazon. But there was like no way I would have been served it. I don't think, you know. Okay. Um. And so, I wonder. It's just like, how do you how do you find that community of people that are looking for that? Let them know about your movie so that they can search for it in. Um, in the Amazon app or whatever. I think you got to use a Facebook. You got to use the the Facebook groups for the specific genre it is. Um, you know, we had talked about this earlier about like kind of getting doing a a kind of I would say 
uh, non-official survey of like these groups that fall into what you're writing and see if people would like it and if, they, if what you're writing is something that would interest the people of that group. Yeah. I think the same thing happens is you go in there and like you know you go to a horror like horror fans Facebook group and say, hey guys, I made this horror film. Um, you know, I think it's uh, pretty cool, pretty interesting. I you know I hope you guys check it out. Here's the trailer. Then you get like four or five people who are like diehard horror fans and they get hooked on the trailer, they buy it, and then you just build on that word of mouth. Yeah, or theoretically, you could, if you were making the movie, oh, excuse me, you you would be doing that the whole time. So like yeah. as you're developing it, and you'd say, hey, here's the concept. Are you interested? And yeah. get people to sort of like sign up somehow for to let have you let them know when it's like ready or like updates and stuff. Yeah. And you do that along the whole process and eventually hopefully ideally you'd have you'd end up with this sort of like email list of hundreds or thousands of people. Yeah. That you would then be able to say, "Hey, okay, it's up now." And so then yeah. It's like if you go start playing this right now, like help us out. And if you go start playing this today, I want to see if it'll help uh, bring it to the popular section or whatever. Mm, so, mm-hmm. like, support my movie by just going and hitting play right now. That's, a pretty, that's a pretty good idea. I, I mean, I think the one thing that, like, a lot of people do, and they, you know, it always, it's funny when people discover this, is, you know, you, another way you could just kind of get a little more publicity is to hire an up-and-coming actor who's got some other roles. Because what you'll see is that these actors will come out with a movie, a very popular movie, and then this movie from two years earlier that they star in is suddenly released. Right. Um, and so you build off of their popularity. Um, you know, I think that's why some of our friends are leaning towards trying to get YouTube stars to star in movies because they already have the built-in audience and then they can hopefully convert those people who are fans of the actor, if you can call YouTube stars actors, um, and get them to become fans of theirs. Right. Um, my question for you, we saw a movie that a commercial director made and took place in an electronics store. I'm not going to name any names. Sure. Um, what was the plan? You, I don't know if you had talked to him about this or anything. What was his plan with it? Was it a festival thing and hopefully get it sold? Or you know, that was super I, I low did, budget. I didn't talk to him. It wasn't like super low budget, but it was pretty low budget. Yeah. Um, I didn't talk to him about what his plan was with okay. it. But I would assume it was about the same as most people's plans in okay. terms of like having a, a successful <laughs> festival run and then uh, distribution, I think. Okay. Probably, you like classic distribution. Yeah, because he, he, the only star, I only knew one name in it. Yeah. And that was it. All the, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah. Or there might have been a couple. Maybe. I don't remember. But then I saw the main guy in a bunch of T-Mobile commercials. I was like, oh, well, that's good. That may help out the movie. I don't know if that would help out. That would, would or like, more of the fact that Oh, the kid's getting more like, gigs and he's, he's growing like, up. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's tough, though. It, it's it's one of those things where there's no code to follow because it's such the Wild West now. Yeah, and I don't, it's... Yeah, it's true. I feel... I do feel like eventually it will, the, the solution will pre- present itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's going to jump on it, oversaturate the market as usual, and uh. then... Uh, it's going to be ruined eventually again. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Everything so, nice. We can't have anything nice. Everything's ruined. We have that to look forward to. Yay. Hopefully we'll be on to our big projects before that happens. Yes, hopefully. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's it's a 
tricky situation because it, it's it's always changing. It's fluid. Um, it's hard to tell what is going to be the next path to go on. Right. Um, but I, I, I do think we are leaning towards, especially as things get oversaturated, people are not going to be able to find your film unless you have a following yourself. Yeah. Unless you have a bunch of people that like what you do and are your champions and, and champion you out there and they're, they're your voice. Yeah. And they're saying like, hey, check out this guy's work. I, you know, this is unsolicited. I just really like this guy's work. Go check it out. Yeah. Or if you happen to be hitting upon like a, a small group or like a medium sized group that is ready for some type of film content yeah. within their group. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but there, there are ways to crack it. It's just, there's no definite answer. Because yeah. it all depends on the product you have, the the project you have, and who you are. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it always comes down to you got to make a good movie. You yeah. Know, in all respects. Yeah, and the hope is if you make a good movie, it'll just find its audience on its own. Yep. Word of mouth. Uh, somebody will buy it, or it'll get get going around the festival circuit. If, if it does well at the festival circuit, you're still guaranteed that somebody's going to buy it, especially because they think they can get it for cheap. Yeah. Especially, yeah. And I think um, moral of the story is go out and start making movies. Yeah. You know? Because you never know what could happen with your low budget. It could it You never could know find what could happen with your low budget, but also it'll just make your next movie better. Exactly. And as you keep getting better and better, people will start to notice no matter what your strategery happens to be. <laughs> strategery, yeah. And, and as you build up your own film library, people will take you take you what you have a little bit more serious because yeah. they're like oh this guy's done a lot so he must be able to you know he must be pretty good if he can keep doing it yeah exactly alright I think that'll do it I, I don't know do I think I got nothing else I'm getting hoarse just from talking so much my apologies this, do we, this do is we, a heavy heavy Trevor episode should, should we try to do like what's cool oh uh, yeah we can do a what's cool like Ken's Steakhouse uh, dressings we just passed Ken's Steakhouse dressing um, Ken's, <laughs> Ken's Steakhouse if you'd like to sponsor us we don't eat many salads but we do eat a lot of steaks um, so we'll just put your salad dressing next to the steaks yeah. as we eat them because I mean it's from a steakhouse so Ken's come on down It'll be uh, delicious. Join the, the no-budget filmmaking podcast family. Delicious. Uh, yeah. Um, Is there anything you can think of off the top of your head that you've seen lately? What were we talking about the other day? We were like, did you put that on a... Oh. The... I Yes. yes. Oh, oh, here we go. Um, let's the see sense can, of discovery. Let's see if I can remember what it's called. Okay, well, while you, you try to figure it out, um, you know, we had talked about uh, NVIDIA's new cards that are coming out. And um, they just announced them. I think they're going to start at $500 a pop, which is kind of expensive, especially because the new architecture that they put into it, the Turing architecture, is not utilized yet by software. The, the, it's one of those things where the technology is there before the software is there. Kind of like CUDA. When CUDA first came out from NVIDIA, it wasn't really able to be utilized because software didn't know how to use it. And then Premiere started utilizing CUDA and all the you know 3DS Max and... Maya and all that, and so then it really took off. And so right now, you're still going to have a faster graphics card for video editing and VFX work, but just wait, because this new architecture, I think, is the future of all NVIDIA cards. So wait until, you know, um, uh, Adobe and uh, Blackmagic with DaVinci get their hands on it and can utilize it, because then I think... You're going to see render speeds and being able to edit 4K all the way, they swear, all the way up to 8K as is like 
super easy, super fast, and that's exciting, and I love that. I mean, again, $500 may seem like a lot of money if that's the low end of the cards, but man, is it important to have a really good uh, good uh, a graphics card, especially when you're working with higher resolutions. Uh, what's also that cool... doesn't even seem that low to me, though. I, I guess. guess. I guess it's because I'm used to seeing, like, researching the very, like, top, top Like tier. the Titans and all that? Yeah, the yeah. Titans. Yep, but I, I'm with you. Um, what's not cool is the temperature is now 110. We know um, that because we're passing the world's largest just, thermometer type display. Yeah, type display, I'll give you that. <laughs> it is the largest thermometer, but it only shows a digital display. So can we really call it a monitor or a glorified uh, display display pole? Yeah, it's um, a display pole yeah, in Baker, in the Baker. glorious, glorious city of Baker. With the mad Greek. Mad Greek and, and alien jerky. Alien jerky. But uh, yeah, it is 645 on a Thursday and it is 110 degrees and we're not even to Vegas yet. We're not even to the real desert yet, so that's not cool. All right, I found it. All right, hit it. It's the Matthews Max Menace Arm. That's right, you oh, you saucy bastard. That is what, oh, so, this thing is so beautiful. So Menace Arms, for those of you who don't know, it's like the traditional Menace Arm kit is something you can get. It's for like speed rail, or I think they might even make one for, um, um, <coughs> I don't know, like like wood beams. Oh, okay, okay. But um, scaffolding. You usually use uh, speed rail, and it's kind of like three pieces. You have a front that has like a light mount on it, and then the the center part with like the ear that you stick into like a big uh, uh, a big grip head on a stand, uh-huh. and then the back you put a counterweight on, um, and like a sandbag or something. You hang something off yeah. it. It's basically so you can like boom a big light. Uh, over a set or arm it in a set really yeah. deep, you know, without having to like triple up on C stand arms, which I'm sure all of you know a bunch of people have done before. <laughs> um, no. But the Max Menace Arm is Oof. sort of Matthew's like high tech, really cool menace arm. Um, and it's all contained in one stand and it has wheels on it that like folds up. Um, it's definitely not something that's super portable. You definitely would need like a truck of some kind. Yeah, but to man, transport it, super handy. Super handy. It like cranks. It has a crank in it, and uh, it'll hold 75 pound light fixtures. Um, and when we say crank, there is video of this thing being on the ground floor and putting a light on the second floor above. Yeah, like, this thing gets some gets yeah. some length. 17.5 feet tall. You can hold 75 pounds. Ooh. But if you're at 7 to 10 feet, um, or 8 feet, yeah, you can hold 175 pounds of Ooh. light on there. You know what it or looks whatever. like? Have you ever seen those things that they use to lift, like, engines right out of the car? Yeah, that is what it, it looks it like. It looks exactly like that. So if you don't feel like going to uh, the show notes for this one and get looking at the link, it looks like those things that they use, those, those cranes that they kind of use uh, to pull out um, engines from the car and if you don't know what that is why don't you just go to the link and check it out rather than look up what the thing that lifts the engine out of the car is <laughs> but I'll, one thing I think is interesting about this it's definitely not cheap it's no. um, a little over $6,500 for one so it's definitely not a no budget tool I don't know what they rent for but what I think is kind of cool about them you could probably um, in a lower budget scenario replace the need for like a condor Oh, you know, because you yeah. always see the condors with like the big HMIs on them and mm-hmm. stuff. And if you were doing that, uh, and the condors are, are tricky because you got to get like a driver, 
or um, you got to have like a truck tow it out there. Yeah. And then you got to move it into position. Yep. Do the whole deal. Uh, not really like a low budget thing, but this is like just a stand. Anyone can operate it. Uh, it requires like no tools, I believe. It's just like almost like cotter pins. And, oh like, man, that's beautiful. Whatever. And uh, you can put a, a light up pretty high. I mean, 17 and a half feet is not as tall as a condor, but... No, but I mean, yeah. If, you, if, you have, if you're shooting like in a second story of a building, you can just shine some Blow HMIs out the windows. through. Yeah, I mean, how it's much... It's not a bad deal. How much do you think like a, a big, like an M, what are they, M16s? An M18. M18. How much do you think those weigh, the head? Oh, man. I have no idea, but not even close to 75 pounds. Yeah, exactly. You could get that M8, that REM18, which is bread and butter and just super nice to blow out a window and put that Probably on Probably do an M40. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Don't they're you, like 4K or whatever. Don't you tell me. Yeah, that, All that, sorts yeah. of cool stuff. Yeah, I do remember, though. That's that's really cool. That's oh, yeah, and one. it's self-leveling. The head self-levels when you crank it up, which is kind of cool. Oh, man. All it just keeps getting better. stuff. Let's just take our extra $6,500 and buy one. I know, right? Oh, they also make a Mini Max version, which is much smaller, and it's for sort of like arming out things like Kina Flow lights and stuff like that. Uh, let's see how high that one can go. Hit <laughs> Nine feet. It's still not bad. It's not bad. Oh. Yeah, nine feet. Not bad at all. Not bad. And uh, that one's only $1,400. And it can support up to 20 pounds. That's not bad. Kind of cool. Yeah, super cool. So those things, check them out. Yep, Matthew's yep. Menace Arms, Max Menace Arms, and Mini Max Menace Arms. Well, uh, if we survive Vegas, we will put it on the show notes for this episode. Um, I can't think of anything else that I saw that was like, oh, you know what? You know, it just came out. Just announced today. Uh, DJI's new Mavics. That's right, the Mavic 2. Magic and the Mavic Mavic uh, 2 Pro. Oh. No, it's the you know what? it's the Mavic 2 Pro and the Mavic 2 Zoom. Ah. Uh-huh. So one has a Hasselblad um, lens on it. Nice. Um, that is 4K. The other one has a 2K optical zoom, 4K digital zoom lens. Ooh. And they are um, same thing. You can you know fold them up, and they can uh, they're about the size of an Italian sandwich. Yeah. Um, New kind of battery. We like to compare everything to, to food. Yeah. So, yeah. like, our, our big camera is, like, about the size of, of a ham. Mm, I'd say... Like yeah, a large may, country ham. Or maybe a maybe a Thanksgiving turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is about the size of an Italian sub uh, with sopracetta and, uh, you know, some, some alame. Um, and so they got two versions. And they all... What they have now is, like, this... Um, this like increased number of sensors around it on the outside of it so that it kind of doesn't crash it kind of is self-aware that it's going to go towards something that's cool and and it will actually like make as it's recording and flying it will make a 3d map of what's ahead of it and kind of notice that it's a tree in front of it and go around it if it's following someone interesting which, which is cool i wonder if it can know if it can if it's smart enough to know like if a tree is coming uh, and the camera's pointing like in a certain direction if it knows which side of the tree to go on. Ah, go on, you know? if, it can, if it can analyze the tree and around? Well, just just saying like, uh, you know, if the if the camera's pointing right uh, and, the and the tree is coming straight at it, 
um, would it know to go to the right of the tree instead gotcha. of going to the left? Well, it, well, it uh, make adjustments based on camera positioning. Yeah, so mm. as to not have the tree block the Ain't, shot. I don't know. We should look in that. Let's go buy one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We got the sixty-five hundred dollar one and then the twenty-five hundred dollar. Perfect. Man, we'll do okay. both. Yeah. Nine K. Whatever. Try to crash him. Yeah. Nothing like no budget filmmaking. Like talking about spending nine thousand dollars on two pieces of equipment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'll do it. Yeah, huh? that'll be about do it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of No Budget Filmmaking. Remember, you can get the show notes at nobudgetfilmmaking.com slash episode, what are we on? 19. Episode 19. And don't forget to hop on over to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined and leave us a review. And make sure you follow us on Facebook and like us on Instagram at Cinema Summit. And we will see you guys next time. Probably not in a car. Yeah, hopefully not in the car. Yeah, later guys. Later.